Probably the best school radio station in the world. This is Bry Radio. Proudly sponsored by the BPA. Good evening, this is Bryant and this is Mr Waters speaking and welcome to the second episode of Bry Radio's Current Affairs show. It is Tuesday the 17th of May, it is quarter past eight, it is second prep at Bryanston. Thank you so much for joining us this evening, we've got a great show coming up talking about the Northern Irish Legislative Assembly election, Beergate, Ukraine as well as a feature piece on feminism later in the show. Uh, let's go for it. Fab. Right, so guys, uh, join me this evening. I have, um, thank you, Alfie. We've got better for Foo Fighters. It's okay. And now, oh, what world. is going on? This oh, Alfie, 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 Alfie. Oh no, I can't stop it. Oh my goodness, here we go. <laughs> this is the pro. <laughs> Mir and JP are having a laugh. No. It's alright. Well, it's gone now. Um, is it gone? Is it, are we long? No, like, it physically won't stop the song. Uh, Online at Brydoll Radio and around Bryanston School. This yeah. is Bry Radio, proudly sponsored by the BPA. I know the jingle's off by heart. Are we good, Alfie? Please don't do it. Okay, yeah, we're good now. So we're good now. We're good now. Fantastic. Right, so join me this evening. I have Alfie, who is in charge of all the tech. That's Alfie of A3. You know who he is. Um, we have uh, Mia, and joining us this week for the first time, we have JP. Hello there. Very exciting. So, guys, what shall we get started with this evening? Um, I could talk a little bit about Ukraine, the current situations there. Mm-hmm. Um, as we all know, recently um, Kharkiv has been taken back, which geographically is very close to Russia. Um, it's on like the far eastern side of Ukraine. Um, Russia's pretty much been, been doing this tactical cal- uh, cauldron battle, which is where they try to encircle the forces and then attack from the flanks. But Ukraine's started guerrilla warfare tactics, which has managed to counter this extremely effectively so what are guerrilla warfare tactics um guerrilla warfare is essentially where you have small bands of military units um and they go attack and then retreat again um germany also have been sending a lot of weapons to ukraine recently as well um something called the Panzerhaubitzen 3000 um which is probably the most precise self-propelled artillery you can find and wow. germany's actually been sending them to them um you have America also sending howitzers and artillery as well. Um, I feel like the main reason for this is, especially for Germany and for Rye Metal, which is the company that makes these weapons, is so they can be tested out in the field. Um, because a lot of recent weapons, a lot of recent tanks haven't actually had proper action. Um, maybe some German ones in Syria with Turkey, but that's about it. Um, and that's all I got on that. Wow. I think I think it's quite um, ironic that um, Germany, I don't know if Germany's still doing this, but how they, when they were sending, um, they're now sending arms to Ukraine when they were still buying um, gas um, gas and stuff from Russia, yeah. um, when all the other countries had, you know, kind of imposed economic sanctions yeah. and cut mm. themselves off, but they're still um, economically entwined, I could say, with that, Russia. That is the issue of dependency. 
on yeah. Russian gas, which Germany sadly is. I mean, I, they definitely would if they like could, but they cannot. Yeah, <laughs> essentially. Exactly. Yeah. What about you, Mr. Waters? <laughs> well, I've been thinking about. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly a change of policy from Europe in the last fortnight compared to when we last spoke. Um, they're much more taking a sort of anti-Russian stance, thinking about mm. increasing sanctions as well as increasing aid to Ukraine. Uh, but the main thing, I think, you know, if we switch away from a, a perhaps more of an EU perspective and pivot over towards NATO, I've been quite look, you know, looking into the what's been going on there and mm. sort of NATO's expansion. We, we spoke briefly about it. I remember Eleanor last time out mm-hmm. um, was talking about sort of that, that, that uh, Finnish military force and its capacity. But there have been some developments there. I don't know whether perhaps JP, you want to fill in at first in, please? Well, yeah, as we know, uh, Finland is uh, wanting to join uh, NATO. But uh, the Turkish uh, have almost immediately said that they do not want Finland to join NATO. And this is because there's quite a large number of Kurdish people living in Finland. And so uh, obviously Turkey's had multiple conflicts over a long period of time with uh, uh, the Kurdish people. And so uh, they said that uh, Finland is harboring terrorism. And they will, because uh, NATO's uh, voting system is unanimous, then they have to have the Turkish vote to uh, allow uh, Finland to join. Absolutely, absolutely. So NATO, as a reminder to our listeners there, it's the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. It's a military alliance um, started just after the Second World War. We're thinking about North America there in terms of the US and Canada as well as much of Western Europe. And it's expanded since the end of the Cold War into Eastern Europe as well, including Turkey. Turkey, though, has been a sort of awkward member, I feel, of NATO. 100%. Mm -hmm. Um, It has not really any affiliation with the North Atlantic. I mean, it's part of the EU, but... Oh, sorry, it's not part of the EU. Um, I was about to say, yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's not part of the EU. Seeking yeah. membership, but it is yeah. part of NATO. It's sort of this, yeah. this cousin, you know, the, you know, I think one of the United States people use is the emergency chairs at Christmas yeah, sort exactly. of thing, but very still a necessary part of NATO mm-hmm. for its strategic importance. Yeah, although it has had some backlash in its past uh, campaigns. For example, um, last time I went to Syria, it didn't do very well. Um <laughs> Kurdish forces managed to repel a lot of Turkish forces um, there, uh, which is quite interesting considering they were using some very highly advanced weapons. Um, although we do know that they are giving drones to Ukraine, which have been extremely useful. Mm-hmm. So this is the thing. So if Finland and Sweden are to join NATO, um, any current members of NATO are able to veto that membership. It's mm-hmm. one of those things about so the principle of Article 5, an attack on one is an attack on all and all must respond. It's a very important, you know, a big thing is, do you want that country in the club? Something to think about, and can they get on? Uh, most countries in NATO are, of course, liberal democracies. Turkey takes a, a different approach. It does. Um, and what we're thinking there is, is you know, do we want to expand NATO into Finland? But we've got to bear in mind as well that Boris Johnson uh, visited Finland earlier in the week. Did yeah. anyone follow that story? Yeah. What was going on there? Yeah, one first in. Um, he visited Finland to talk about um, stronger alliances between the two countries. Um, he also uh, visited Sweden for a similar thing, but with lesser dale. Um, Finland was definitely the main target and still is um, compared to Sweden. Um, I mean, I, re- I remember um, one famous quote that didn't, wasn't actually as famous as I, well, I thought it'd be a lot bigger, but he was speaking to one of the Finnish generals, and um, it, it, it's, he said something along the lines of, um, if Russia tries to invade, they'll find like 200,000 bodies of the previous ancestors that tried to in 1943. 
Wow. Yeah. Hey, goodness. Exactly. Have, have Russia said anything about Finland joining NATO? Well, funnily enough, they're threatening to uh, start military action against them, which you think against would, Finland against Finland, which you think Finland would would want to join NATO more if they were yeah. threatened to be invaded. Yeah. <laughs> well, then surely then they can just trigger Article Five. Yeah. It would also be interesting to see the way in which uh, Russia acts towards Finland, because if there is no action, if they join NATO, then it raises quite a lot of questions as to whether there would be action if Ukraine joined NATO. Mm. I mean, it would be difficult now, considering that they're already in conflict with uh, Russia. But, yeah, exactly. Uh, if, they, if it is all just talk and they view this Western expansion as a threat, but they're not actually going to act on it, then it raises a lot of questions for Ukraine. Mm. Oh, definitely. Um, I mean, Russia, I mean, as, as it goes back to, I mean, we were talking about this back in Connaught, like, mm. Putin might have some disease, you yeah, know, there's yeah. lingering in the he's air. Got a blood cancer. Yeah, we don't uh, know this. I but... mean, it's yeah, it's impossible to actually say, but like, yeah, I mean, it's all it's all speculation. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I heard from a, a rather potentially unreliable source that Putin's <laughs> doing some sort of Rasputin-esque bathing in, antl- uh, in antlers oh, blood really? sort of things going on to try and get rid of possibly oh, wow. cancer. We don't <laughs> know anything for definite, but I think we should perhaps stick to stick to facts of what we do yeah. know is going on. Yeah, definitely, um, before we speculate bit more mm-hmm. but it is I think it's a bit enjoyable isn't it to talk about yeah, um, yeah so thinking about Finland think Finland of course a quarter of a million troops they can put on the ground within mm-hmm. 24 hours rather defensive military Sweden not quite as powerful so you know, Finland would be beneficial to have in NATO yes. in any potential conflict but of course mm-hmm. NATO is there to try and avoid again, conflict it, um, yeah it you know ruffle, ruffle, sorry Russia wants that buffer zone um, against uh, NATO because they feel threatened about the Western expansion of NATO. Mm-hmm. And I think, although it would be very hard to send troops in through Finland um, um, yeah. because of the mountainous... Terrible terrain. Te- yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. terrible mm-hmm. terrain. Um, it's still, like, you've got that realist um, mentality of Russia where they're, like, um, you know... They just want to protect themselves, and they um they don't really care about anyone else. We've got the liberalist views of you know the other countries in NATO. Mm-hmm. That was out there. Yeah. Um. But in addition, sort of more perhaps internally in Russia, you see that story about McDonald's. Yeah. Yes. Nice Come Pulling on, let's, permanently let's, 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 yeah. let's cater to our audience here. Yeah. yeah. What is the story about Mackey's, please? Um, so it's selling its Russian business two months after temporarily closing its restaurants in the country um, in response to the invasion of Ukraine. Um, this this is quite big within um, the within the people of um, Russia, as um, I remember watching a video in our politics class where um, they were really happy about when McDonald's came to Russia because it was like, I'm not quite sure, but they just, all, everybody went there. And, you know, it's a lot, that's a thing that the Russian people really love. And then I think in the McDonald's, like, closing down there, um, the Russian people are going to get quite angry. Quite possibly. I mean, if Mackey's was taken away from us somehow, they wouldn't be too happy about it. <laughs> yeah. But right. yeah, it's, it's that element of sort of symbolism, really. With um, thinking about you know yeah. when Russia, uh, when McDonald's first started in Russia in 1990, mm-hmm. thinking about this was the end of communism, the end exactly. of the USSR. McDonald's opens. It's a symbol of yeah. Americanization it of the West. Capitalism. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it shows that uh, with 
no well McDonald's in Russia they're becoming uh, further and further away from the West and becoming more and more disconnected from them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean I always like to think of McDonald's as, as like embassies for capitalism and for the West because like you just find them in every country now yeah mm-hmm. like uh, that's the best way I can and that's the thing them. I mean um, you know, thinking back a very long time ago to when I was your age they were referred to by my rugby coach as an American embassy yeah. we went on a, exactly. on a bus tour we were going to I think <laughs> Venice and one of the things he would point out he'd call them the American embassy it takes you a moment to click what he means but absolutely they are yeah. you know it's, it's, it's spreading yeah. liberal American values it's it about capitalism it's about consumerism all that sort of that sort of you know, consumerist yeah. lifestyle exactly. that's going on, which Russia embraced in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And we thought we saw Russia becoming a liberal democracy. It didn't turn out quite that no, way. Exactly. But it is one of those things. And mm-hmm. now it seems to be the reverse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it shows as well, you know, how um, a lot of the um, Russian people don't agree with what Putin's doing. And it shows the kind of hold and the power he has over, mm. you know, over everybody in Russia and how indoctrinated a lot of people mm. are and how much power he's got over his military. And mm-hmm. you see all these videos circulating around the internet about Russian so- soldiers who've like been video coming to Ukraine and a lot of them a lot of them don't know really what they're there for or what they're fighting for. They've just been, you know, either conscripted or indoctrinated into the army. Into the Russian me. army. Hmm. Oh yeah. Um no, it's a crazy amount that are just young men that have been conscripted into the army. Um most of them pretty much sixth form age um going to go fight ukrainians for something that they still think is a military exercise mm-hmm. but i mean it does seem like we are starting to see the fall of russia once again mm-hmm. mm. um china replacing it who knows yeah probably so yeah. thinking over there about the, perhaps the new world order yeah. potentially potentially no, that's definitely. the thing so what's the new we... world order so we're thinking about um, who's the sort of thing called this global hegemon? Who is the big power in the world? How many can you have at once? And, you know, mm-hmm. we think about that period of after the Cold War, before 9-11. We'll come on to this next week, Mia. You're looking forward to it, I know. <laughs> um, we're thinking there. It's, it's a yeah, brilliant, brilliant course to do, um, sort of our power and development yeah. unit of the global stuff uh, in our politics A level. And we're thinking there about is, was the, is the US still that global superpower or is something else perhaps starting to rival the US for power is one of those things. I'm used to think possibly it could be Russia again, potentially, yeah. but maybe not now. Uh, now, now I think they're, I don't know how they're really going to recover. Mm. Putin spent a long time building up Russian arms, Russian economy, and it's all gone as quick as it came. Well, I think for Russia to recover, I think Putin would have to go uh, fairly yeah. soon. Mm. Yeah, uh, seems like it one way or another. I feel like that's their only chance to mm. survive. Possibly, but in what way? It's one of those things. So think about a new world order. You know, last time we sort of had this sort of real set of yeah. a new world order, it comes out of sort of possibly war. And this is what we're trying to avoid, perhaps trying to avoid that conflict. But we'll come across somebody called Friedman a few weeks' time who spoke about something called the Golden Arches Peace Theory, which is the idea that two, you know, two countries, nation states, each with a McDonald's would not go to war with one another. It's been yeah. disproven by NATO <laughs> yeah. in Yugoslavia. We spoke about this a couple of weeks ago. But, yeah, it's that, it's that idea that we can't have these two sort of two liberal democracies going to war with each other. Mm-hmm. But the big powers in the world, thinking mm-hmm. about the rise of China, it's yeah. not a liberal democracy. They do not yeah. have the freedoms that, that, that we have here. And that's the thing now, is maybe mm-hmm. that's what could possibly lead to this sort of conflict. Yeah. I mean, mm. China works in the dark a lot as well. So um, they, they, they have a lot of companies like Tencent, and ByteDance, which are both heavily investing, and a lot of American social media companies like Snapchat, TikTok, Discord, mm. and then they managed to have the data because it's 
legally binding in China that if you're a company, you need to give all the data to the Chinese government. Um, we also see that they do hack a lot. Um, they hacked the Pentagon twenty times in twenty eighteen. Um, China alone, did. yeah. The Pentagon. The Pentagon. They, they, nothing was done. Um. Well, they, 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 they've stolen a lot of files from naval contractors. Like, um, back in twenty fifteen, I think it was. Um, one naval contractor. They were working on a supersonic missile for submarines. Um, China managed to hack into those files and steal whatever information there was on them. Mm. Um, for a brief example. Um, so I think they work in the dark a lot more than people think. Mm. And I think it's a big threat that needs to be handled. Mm. Possibly, I think. Yeah, we'll see how that one sort of plays out. Um, moving on to sort of the next topic, perhaps, of the evening. Um, the elections in Northern Ireland last mm-hmm. week. Can we, who could perhaps provide a bit of sort of some background knowledge about Northern Irish politics, its sectarianism, maybe? Get us started on that. So in Northern Ireland, there's always been this sort of, uh, it's always been quite a volatile state. And um, it's always been between unionists and uh, uh, the nationalists. Nationalists, yeah. Yep, yep. Sorry, I lost the word. Mm-hmm. And um, so in recent weeks, we've seen uh, the Northern Ireland election results. And uh, what has happened is. Uh, it's caused many issues as DUP will not form a government with uh, the Sinn Féin because mm-hmm. um, they are worried about this uh, uh, Northern Ireland protocol. Yeah, so just for listening out there, the DUP and Sinn Féin, that's some new terminology for mm-hmm. us. Who, who are the DUP? Uh, so they are, they are the Unionist Party mm-hmm. and they want to uh, be part of the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, Sinn Féin are nationalists and they believe that Northern Ireland should uh, uh, not be part of the United Kingdom. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. over a very, very long time, years and years and years, there's been a lot of conflict going on in um, Northern Ireland, especially in uh, Derry, because that is where the border is between uh, Ireland and uh, uh, Northern Ireland. And what has happened with this uh, uh, Brexit deal is it means that uh, goods have to now be checked and uh, has to, have to be tested. And so um, there is conflict, there is likely that tensions are rising because cameras and um, other things that are on the border of Ireland and uh, if there's security on the border of Ireland and uh, Northern Ireland, that could potentially start some conflict. But then, on the other hand, uh, the UK has got this idea that they can check the goods in uh, the UK, in uh, England and then ship them over uh, towards um, Northern Ireland before being sent through to Ireland. However, the Unionists would say that this is sort of making a almost a border um, in the Irish Sea, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they're not a fan of that. So. Either one, of, either one of the two uh, possibilities, so either having a board, uh, heavier border on Northern Ireland or Ireland, or um, a sort of pr- pretend border, as what one might say, mm-hmm. on uh, in between the Irish Sea could cause a lot of conflict. Absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. I mean, even generally, it's quite a weird border we have in Ireland because, despite it bordering an EU nation, it doesn't have any of the regulations that you need it to be. Um, due to fact we're not in the United, sorry, European Union anymore. Um, so it does need to be sorted out. 
Oh, and there's a lot of pressure from all sides to get that done. Mm-hmm. So this is the big thing. Thinking about he has to sort of explain sort of what's going on in the Northern Irish um, legislature in Stormont is uh, for the first time ever we have a nationalist plurality. So um, Northern Ireland has this very sort of proportional system. They've got lots of parties, a lot more sort of genuine, free choice than we yeah. have here um, at a Westminster level. And they have this thing called a power share. They have you know, power sharing agreements to try to have coalitions between the parties yeah. with both unionists and nationalists involved. When this started in the late 90s, we're thinking about the Ulster Unionist Party and the SDLP, and that's since moved on to the Democratic Unionist Party and Sinn Féin. Mm. And for the first time, we have a nationalist plurality, which means they have sort of a, more seats than anybody else. Not, not a majority. No. It's something to be in a power sharing agreement. But the DUP are refusing. They don't want to play second fiddle. Um. I mean, this was bound to happen someday with um, a proportional system like um, STV, um, single transferable vote, which means, you know, more representation, more translation of votes into seats. Um, so I think I I know like it's bad, but if if you know it's good to have more representation, but it doesn't really give a a very like a clear government in power, mm-hmm. which is why so many coalitions form. And when and if people don't want to form coalitions, then it all kind of goes to shambles. Absolutely. So yeah, we'll see how this one plays out. Um, right. Okay. I think that's our current affairs bit done for the evening. Thank you so much to Alfie. Mia and JP, fantastic. Oh, Mia wants to buy the beer gate. Yeah. Oh, quick, here we quick go. About beer gate. It's okay, um, here we are. Mm-hmm. Starmer is getting, like, basically, he's being tried for something that he did in lockdown. Um, and if he's found guilty, then he's going to withdraw as leader from the Labour Party um, because he says it's the right thing to do, you know, because of individual, individual yeah. collective. Individual minister, not a minister, mm, but he's yeah. oh, well, responsibility because he's like it's the right thing to do, and I can't can't like be head of the party properly. Absolutely, yeah, this is the thing. So yeah, we'll see how it also goes. Mm. Um, will he be issued with a fixed penalty notice as Johnson was, and exactly. if he resigns, it just makes Johnson look small. That's the trouble here. It does. It does. Even if he isn't fined, no. it still makes Johnson look small. Hundred percent. Uh huh. That's this is the thing. Um, Johnson doomed to fail. Is that yeah. going to be? Is that will that be the question? Yeah, the opinion 100%. polls going crazy. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Absolutely. I'm yeah. pretty sure. If if we had a stronger Lib Dem. Uh, at the start of uh, the pre previous uh, mm-hmm. the start of the year, then maybe we could have seen them take power, and that would have been pretty special because that would have taken away this two horse race that's been going on for so long. Absolutely, yeah. I know. I think I think Lib Dems are still too small. Yeah, they are. I don't think there's much of a way for them to get any gain. Um, could see a coalition government with the SNP though. Oh, that uh, could be potentially. Mm-hmm. Could be. Yeah. Right. Fab. Okay. Coming up after the break, I'm going to have Mrs. Keenan here with Carmen talking about all things feminism, talking about that assembly we had on Friday in a bit more detail, a bit more depth, rather looking forward to it. But now, JP, what are we playing for you, please? Um, I can't remember. What was it? Pink oh, Floyd. Money by Pink Floyd. Uh, yes. Uh, I, I a great I choice for like like the 70s. That. Here we go. Sounds like news.
Right, welcome back. This is Brian Radio, it's Mr. Waters speaking. It is uh, 8.43 on Tuesday, the 17th of May. Um, we've just had Alfie, Mir and JP here talking about current affairs, but now, thank you so much for being here, we have Carmen and Mrs. Keane talk about sort of the women's movement, feminism, and as well as sort of more development on Friday's Assembly. Hello. Hi. 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 Fab. Okay. Well, let's just get started. It's one of those comments that you see now and then, and you just think, oh my goodness, what's happening? But so was it the Social Mobility Commission chairs outright? Yeah. Um, made a comment saying that girls don't do physics because they don't like hard maths. I mean, it's twenty twenty two. 
Yeah, I mean, it was really surprising. So Catherine Burblesing, um is the name of um, the um, chair of the Social Mobility Commission. And um, she got that position because she was sort of already famous, I guess, in the education world, um, because she was known, known as Britain's strictest head teacher. So she's the head teacher of a school in London called Michaela Community School. And that school does... Uh, works in a very sort of um, disadvantaged community and um, it's a relatively new school it was only set up in 2014 but they have only had their first set of GCSE results in 2019 and they absolutely smashed it they got like twice the national average in terms of grade sevens and above um, so normally um, Catherine Singh would be sort of the the person that I would want to like champion and say, mm. you know, she's doing amazing work for equality. Like she's really helped a lot of people in it's a comprehensive school. So in that catchment area, lots of parents like fighting for places to get their children to go to the school. Um, it's super, super strict. Like they have to sit in rows all the time, walk from lesson to lesson in silence. But she says that these rules, you know, help these kids. And so she really knows her sort of area. Mm-hmm. But um, that's why it was you all the more surprising that she said these sorts of hugely generalizing comments because she is someone whose words matter mm-hmm. and people listen to her. And, you know, women need to bring other women up, I think. Agreed. <laughs> Go women. Absolutely. So um, can we just run through perhaps some of the things from Friday's Assembly again, just to refresh our, our listeners. Thank you again for listening, everybody. Um so what were we getting out of assembly? What were we trying to drive forward and sort of help you know, educate our pupils about? So I think a lot of it um, was, well, the main thing was sort of the outrage of this soundbite. Um, but then following on from that, it was actually um, where does this start and why is why is the gender imbalance um, a thing? Um, and one of the the slides that got sort of, I guess, the biggest murmurings in assembly was looking mm-hmm. at the disparity in pay between men and women. Mm-hmm. Um, in sport. In sport. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. There was a lot yeah. of murmuring in assembly. Almost, I know. Yeah, literally, I remember walking into a lesson after that. What, and they were like, oh, it was such a good assembly until they brought up the sport, you know, because it's to do with the, the what's it called, the marketing and the sponsors and everything. And it's like, yeah, I'm sure that plays a role in it, but it's still the same sport when it comes to it. And also, it's like, okay, well, why? Why yeah. does male sport get all the extra marketing and all the extra money? Exactly. Okay, okay maybe male athletes earn more because there's more revenue, because mm. more people watch it, but more people watch stuff because it's on BBC One. Yeah, and it's the viewer, how easy accessible it is, because I'm sure to access a lot of women's sport, it's like on the Red Button channel or something. You have to, you know, exactly. it's not right there. Exactly. And um, I actually happened to have um, A2s later on that day, and we were discussing about it. And it's like, well, actually, in the US, like soccer is much bigger for women yeah. than it is for men, yeah, yeah, yeah. and yet they don't get paid mm. at all the same. So um, I think it's a bigger issue than, oh, it's because more people want to watch men's sport. Yeah. It's actually nothing like that. That is an argument, but it's a bit of a circular argument. And it's argument. always an argument that gets fallen back on as well. Absolutely. And it's more than just sport as well. There's like gender imbalance um, in terms of, not just pay, but also like recognition across mm. lots of other, like, mm. well, every sector really. So like throughout history, whenever something was like anonymous, usually it's because it was by a woman. Yeah. Um, 
So I think, and that's something that, okay, we've come a lot we- a long way, but yeah. we've not necessarily... Yeah, especially, like, looking in our politics course, because we have to study, like, key thinkers for, like, socialism and conservatism. The majority of the thinkers are men. They include, like, maybe, like, one or two women in there. But it's because all the thinkers at the time were men. Like, women weren't given that platform to speak about issues, like, regarding politics and things. They weren't. Yeah, it was like, oh, don't worry, your pretty little head yeah. about that, you know? Um but actually, like, some women really did try to buck the trend across all sorts of different um, sort of aspects of everything. So, for example, um, a lot of people probably know that Watson and Crick were the two scientists that um, discovered that DNA had the sort of double helix shape. So they were both men. But actually, behind the scenes was Rosalind Franklin, a woman who did a lot of the legwork for that. Mm. And she was actually the person that, like, first discovered it. And they took all the credit. So they all worked together, the three of them, but the two men got all the credit. Mm. And then um, sort of closer to home, um, um, along the Jurassic Coast, where there's loads of fossils, Mm -hmm. um, Mary Anning. There's actually recently been a film about um, this lady called Mary Anning, who was a fossil hunter and discovers loads of fossils along the Jurassic Coast. And then her so-called friend, um, called Henry Dillabetch, if I'm pronouncing that right, he took all the credit. Um, when was this? Um, late 19th century. Oh, um, but even more recently, um, what um, is sort of computer science? That um, that was one of the subjects that was talked about in the assembly mm. as oh, well. Right. Mm. And obviously that's a much more recent thing with computers. And after the assembly, actually, shout out to uh, Mr. Davies, who sent me an email <laughs> um, with extra stuff about computer science figures. Um, because... When computer science first started as a thing in the dawn with the dawn of computers in the first half of the 20th century, um, the amount of, the proportion of men versus women taking computer science at university was pretty much 50 50 mm-hmm. all the way up until the 1980s. And then in the 1980s, the home computer got invented and people could actually have computers in their home, mm-hmm. but most people could only afford one. And mm-hmm. so because of the biases at the time, oh, the boy would get the fun yeah. new toy. And so then suddenly it became a boy's thing and the amount of women doing computer science absolutely mm-hmm. plummeted because it became marketed for boys um, and therefore not for girls. I guess that also relates to like going like right into like the early ages of development, like boys being given puzzles and Legos and cars and like things like that, which develops a different part of the brain than a kitchen set does. Absolutely. It like gears you from a very young age into a certain genre. Yeah, 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 definitely. And so it's really hard to tease out the sort of nature versus nurture argument, which is what we touched on a little bit in the assembly. And I think it's something that um, is almost impossible to ever test, perhaps, because you can never control every yeah. single variable. Um, but it is certainly something that we can maybe try and sort of call out Um when we notice that people are being overly stereotypical, um, we can call out like the very gendered marketing. And I really do urge people to um, Google the Amazon reviews for the Bic pen for girls. Um, <laughs> oh because I've read these. honestly, they will make you half want to cry and half <laughs> just want to laugh because they are so Bic as in the biro people, yeah. they mm-hmm. made a pen specifically for girls. And um, it's just, what? Like, why do we need a different pen? And the reviews are just some of the funniest things you've ever read in your life because it's all these women being so sarcastic in these reviews. It's so funny. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, 
But and obviously the pen is pink because it's oh, for a girl. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, how else would you know? Yeah, That's exactly, exactly. Just, oh, yeah. But what's really interesting actually is that up until sort of the 1940s, um, boys wore pink and girls wore blue. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, and even in the 19th century, both boys and girls wore dresses and had long hair up until mm-hmm. the age of seven. And actually, back then. Um, toys for young children are much more gender neutral than now um, and it's all basically just a marketing scam. It is, I think, so we're thinking about since the development of marketing, we're thinking about more of sort of consumerist culture, the economy growing, um, sort of living standards rising significantly since the First World War, that's all thing that's probably had an effect on this and just that sort of professional marketing perhaps sort of worsening the gender imbalances and gender prescribed culture roles toys. Yeah, I would definitely agree that probably marketing is is a huge, huge part of it. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, Carmen, like sort of things that are marketed to teenage girls versus teenage boys. Yeah, definitely. There's, yeah, like the colour schemes and the, yeah, it's a lot of like puzzles and, you know, that kind of thing marketed towards boys as compared to girls to get like nail kits or makeup. Yeah, definitely. And I think especially like going through teenage years, like nobody wants to be the one person to like stand up yeah. in the crowd because it is, it's so intimidating to, to do that. But I think it's really important to do that as well. Like especially like here at Bryanston, like we kind of hope that we're making people, you know, young people who will go out there and have the confidence to make that difference. So even if you, you feel that you wouldn't want to do it for yourself, but um, you would do it for other people. Um, you know, for the the women and the girls, and not just girls and women, like any marginalised groups, yeah, LGBT, exactly. etc., who sort of come after. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. Um, anything else that we want to delve into us at the moment, perhaps? We're good? Um, okay, right. We're hoping to play our outgoing song, um, which I believe is in, I forget name, Cindy... Cindy Lauper? Cindy Lovell, is that right? And it's um, Girls Just Want to Have Fun. This has been chosen, especially for this evening. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. I thought we had it, Alfie. Did we not have it? I mean, we better do. Um, it was in Alan House, yeah. didn't it? told me. It's Alan. Here we go. We've got this. So, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. We look forward to catching up with you all in week seven. It'll be the same time, that Tuesday, week seven after half term. Um, yes. Thank you, brilliant. Thank you all much, so much to everybody who's come in so far this term. If you would like to come on Bry Radio and talk current affairs, talk politics or anything, please do get in touch with me. That's Mr Waters. Uh, thank you so much to Carmen, Mrs Keane, Alfie, Mia and JP and all the team behind the scenes. Right, bye for now. Probably the best school radio station in the world. This is Bry Radio. Proudly sponsored by the BPA.